Hey, it's Patrick Fort. And Ruth Tam. Last week, Washingtonians were getting ready to gradually reopen society. But as local restaurants opened their doors and we geared up to cover it, the news of a police killing of a Minneapolis man named George Floyd hit our region. So on Friday, May 29th, while people officially dined al fresco for the first time in three months, protesters marched down 14th Street to the White House to demand justice for George Floyd and freedom from police brutality. The protests have continued for several days now. On Saturday, buildings near the White House were broken into and burned, and many critical voices, most notably President Trump's, chimed in to say that all this destruction, it wasn't protest. It was a crime against small businesses, particularly businesses owned by Black Americans and other people of color. Given how big these protests have gotten, it's hard to say who's responsible for vandalism and looting. Even though you can't pin these actions on any one group right now, pitting activists against small businesses in these situations is pretty common. It's happening in other cities right now. It happened in L.A. during the Rodney King riots in 1992 and in D.C., after Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination and the protests that followed in 1968. On our very first episode about the half-smoke, the 1968 uprising in D.C. comes up because Ben's Chili Bowl on U Street, which made the half-smoke famous, played a significant role during that four-day-long protest. Given everything that's going on, we wanted to share more of our conversation with Ben's Chili Bowl co-founder, Virginia Alley. She witnessed the protest then and has seen a lot in the 62 years that Ben's has been open. Here's Virginia. We talked in October of 2018. I'm Virginia Alley. My husband Ben and I opened Ben's Chili Bowl on August 22nd, 1958. I came to Washington in 1952 from Virginia and this was still a segregated city. My first job was at Industrial Bank, which is an African-American operated bank that's still there today. My husband, Ben, had come from Trinidad to attend Harvard University's dental school. He'd worked his way through school by working in restaurants. And when I met him a few years after that, and we wanted to be married, he wanted to be self-employed. And the business that he knew best was this restaurant business. Let's try that. I said, okay. Well, of course, where would you want to open a place like that? You want to open it where there are lots of people. There were lots of hamburger places around, but not so many hot dog places, and certainly not with chili. We decided to do that. And when we opened, we saw the hot dogs were the number one seller back there, by far. It just kind of evolved over the years with the chili sauce. And the half-smoked is half beef, half pork, and and half-smoked and spicy that we serve in a hot dog bun with mustard onions and our homemade spicy chili sauce. The half-smoked now is the number one seller and is also known as Washington's signature dish. We had the jukebox with the music going all the time. We had tried to hire a very friendly staff, and we tried to provide an atmosphere of home. It was sort of the neighborhood hangout. Then it was kind of a meeting place for people, a quick snack. And of course, at night, on a Friday and Saturday night, when you were out at the clubs, we were open until 4 o'clock in the morning from day one. We had a slogan, sober up with a chili dog. So being a segregated city, we didn't go downtown to the theater. 
or to dinner, but we had everything we needed right here in our Shaw community. And this was where all the action was. This was Black Broadway. This was where people were. Then we were integrated, and of course the change began, because now we don't have to wait to go to the go to our theater. Uh, we could go downtown. We could go downtown for dinner. And that was the beginning of the money leaving the African-American community. The big change came April 4th, 1968, when Dr. King was assassinated. I remember vividly someone running in the door and saying, Dr. King has been shot. Well, we don't believe that. And then we hear it again and again. And we find a transistor radio and turn that on, and then we hear hymns being played, and Dr. King is actually expired. So people were crying. Everybody's crying. How could this very gentle leader of ours be taken away so violently? Something should be dead about it. I mean, uh, right now they still haven't found the, uh, the murder yet. And I think that we should be able After a while, the sadness turned to frustration, and the frustration turned to anger, and the uprising began. Late today, the president declared a state of emergency and regular army troops moved into the nation's capital to protect strategic locations from the violence spreading through the city. The uprising was severe. You know, there was a curfew put in place for three nights. Stokely Carmichael had said, and because of Dr. King's death, we need to all close all businesses. We were the only place that was allowed or even asked to remain open during that curfew period. I'm not sure who made the decision. Stokely Carmichael told me he did, and that provided a place for first responders and police officers, city officials, and even activists to have some place to come, have something to eat, and maybe have a conversation about how to quell the violence. It was scary. It was really scary. The National Guard was called in after that second day. When I was here, it was like grateful that we had a place that they could come to and um, feeling, you know, feeling happy that we could provide some place of comfort and some place of just to come to get, get away from what was going on in the street. You I mean, you could see fires and flames burning. From the air, the scene looked unreal. A row of fires in the middle of an otherwise tranquil city. When we did go home, you don't know if you're going to find a Molotov cocktail flumming in the window the next morning. Your place is gone, too. After the riots and the destruction of the businesses, those businesses didn't reopen. Middle-class African-Americans were moving away, like, rapidly. And we just were left with this boarded-up burned out, devastated community that took a downhill turn for 20 years. That was really hard too. But because after the riots, of, I don't know how long, maybe two years or two or three, Heron moved in, then Crack moved in, and this beautiful community became a serious ghetto. Until 1988, that's 68 to 88. 1988, the city decided to build the subway system here. The Green Line right across the street, 
they found three surviving businesses in the immediate vicinity. Our bank, our flower shop, Lee's Flower Shop, now being operated by the third generation, and Ben's. I refused to close. My husband thought we should just close for at least a year. Not doing that. After Dr. King's death, we had the Poor People's March. We had a lot of things going on in the civil rights uh, movement, and we were able to you know, provide food just for the people that came in early and from a long distance. We were able to be there to support them. And we've always had such an array and such a diverse group of people. You know, you could have a judge sitting next to a junkie any day at the Chili Bowl. Now there's a lot of nostalgia because we've been here so long and because we've persevered, because we've been able to hold on when it was so difficult. During the, the rioting era, during the drug era, it's been difficult. And now, of course, we've got lots of competition, but we've been here long enough to be able to stand on our own two feet. It's really painful that these deaths keep happening and that this news is so cyclical and these protests have to happen over and over again. But it is reassuring to hear from someone like Virginia Alley, who has seen this before. Ben's isn't just a reminder of what was here before. It's a symbol of what can grow out of a really dark time. I think this interview hits a little differently for me now than when we recorded it two years ago. When I listen to it now, I hear that Virginia is pretty honest about the impacts that the 1968 protests had on her community. I mean, there was real devastation here. And yet she's saying that supporting local businesses and being vocal about civil rights, those things aren't mutually exclusive. And that's something that a number of local businesses here have been saying recently, particularly locally owned places downtown like Tiazem, Busboys and Poets, and Dolcezza. All those places saw their storefronts damaged recently. U Street and Shaw have changed a lot since 1968. Like Virginia Alley said, it used to be a Black neighborhood, and now it's not. For more on that change and what Half Smokes have to do with it, check out our first episode. We'll actually be back with a new episode in two weeks, so restart that clock. We'll see you then.